I am your host, Stephen, and you are listening to the Learn Swift podcast, where beginners to the Swift language share their background, experiences, lessons learned, and ambitions. On today's episode, I'll be interviewing Mark Opont. Mark works remotely as a system administrator who recently relocated to New York to chase his dreams of becoming a professional iOS developer. Hey, Mark. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, what, how is your Friday going so far? My Friday's been pretty eventful. It's a nice, uh, well, I guess the weather's kind of icky to here in New York, but the um, day's been pretty good. Wrapped up a day of work and working on some side projects and uh, just enjoying the day. Cool. Uh, what, what do you do for work? So as of right now, I currently work as a systems engineer for uh, Debo Nixdorf, which is just a fancy title of saying I work on ATMs and pretty much the um, configure ATM software for our clients and ensure that they have customized marketing screens on all their machines and been doing that for the last 12 years. Okay. And uh, do you do that there in New York? Um, are you all remote? Yes. Yeah, so I currently work function as a remote employee. Um, and uh, our headquarters is in uh, Ohio, Akron, actually. And okay. um, so I work remote and uh, for the most part, uh, work from home every once in a while. I'll actually go into the office, but for the most part, remote. Okay. So um, g- give us your little backstory. So backstory. Um, well, I have always kind of had a passion for programming and really in a means of being able to create new things, create software, create new applications. Uh, I've kind of messed around with it early on in college. And ironically enough, when I first started or first were, I was first introduced to programming, it was not too tasteful. I actually hated it um, because of the way it was presented to me from a collegiate perspective Uh, at the time, I think, I don't know if it was like an intro to Java course that I was taking and the concepts, the way it was, at least the way they were being presented was more from a, well, here's, here's how you set this up. Here's how you set that up. Um, Now build a program. That's like the cafeteria example where there's, you know, there's these groups of uh, students in a cafeteria. They're going to grab this using stacks and cues, pop this, push that, so on and so forth. And, um, but there wasn't any practical examples that you'd work on, at least in some of the uh, college courses that I took. And that kind of drew me away from it because it was more about, uh, you know, compilers, which is good, good information, but it, there was nothing to really draw you to it. Um, and so for that, I kind of strayed away from programming for a while. For a while. And uh, a couple of years ago, I just I decided to buy my first um, Udemy course, and I got bit by the programming bug, and I've been doing it ever since. Okay, what was your uh, what was your first Udemy course? The first course, oh man, it was the Complete Web Developer Course by Rob Percival. 
Okay, I have that. I have not done anything with it yet. That's <laughs> an awesome through, course. I'll go through um, every time they have their little $10 sales or whatever. I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know, it's $10. I mean, and of course, you know, they do them all the time. So it's like that great marketing campaign on their part, really, Absolutely. though. Because I tell you, like, I have, oh, I, I don't even know. I'd have to look at my phone, but I, at least 10 courses, and yeah. I've probably only done five of them, if that. Yeah, for me, it was, I just saw it as an opportunity for, because I had already started um, a, a, a part-time business of doing uh, like small websites for small business owners um, in the Orlando area. Okay. And um, I wanted to be able to increase my skills to really learn the full picture of, of web development as opposed to just maybe... Um, initially just using the WordPress platform and kind of like click and play and just drag things in. So that's really why I took the course really just to become more proficient. And it, I absolutely love the idea of giving a computer instructions and having it do something with those instructions. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that I like as well. See, especially whenever you kind of hit that first wall and then you figure out the the solution or, you know, it might not be the best solution, but it's like, Oh man, that's so awesome. It just did what I told it to. (laughs) Absolutely. So, um, when did you get to iOS and Swift? I got to iOS and Swift roughly. It was, uh, early 2015, uh, late 2014 is when, cause I started, I bought the course late 2014 and I started, um, kind of just going through the different uh, motions. Oh, it, it, see, the thing about Udemy is, and the great marketing on their part, like you buy one course and then all of these other courses get thrown in your face. And it was just like, ah, oh. I, I saw this. Uh, Rob Percival also had a, at the time it was, I believe it was iOS 9. So it was, yeah, late 2015, actually. It okay. was iOS 9 and um, it was... Like, hey, get this, since you've already bought my web developer course, why don't you get my iOS 9 course? And it's only like 20 bucks. (laughs) Um, And I I fell for the trap. I said, you know what? Yeah, you know, this this would be interesting. Let me try it out. And I instantly fell in love with iOS as as, um, as opposed to web only because I had had an iPhone at the time. Or I, I had an iPhone. And it was just like, okay, well, if I want to build iPhone apps, I can build something that's tangible right here in my hand. And uh, I just love the accessibility that came with it and the fact that it was so focused that um, I decided to just keep pursuing that goal. And I've been working with Swift ever since. Okay. So uh, what's your your goal? My goal, my true goal right now is really to learn everything I can about mobile development, I guess software development as a whole, because I really want to be able to um, really master the skills, mostly so I can teach. I have a passion for being able to help those, especially those who may not be as empowered. Um, And I really want to, I feel like in order for me to be able to serve my community the way I want to, um, I have to come from a position of knowing what I'm talking about. Right. So that that kind of really forces me to kind of keep 
pushing the envelope and learning as much as I can um, so I can build great products, one, because I eventually want to be able to do this, you know, full time on my own. Um, I don't mind working for a company and things of that nature, but like just the idea of being able to kind of freelance and and build products for folks at your own pace and your own schedule is somewhat attractive. And um, I just feel like the more I learn, the um, more help I can be. Okay, so um, so you used Udemy or Udemy yeah. or however you pronounce it. Um, yeah. Any other methods that you've been using to learn? Are you mostly using documentation now? Do you have any other kind of, uh, let's say, like books? So I have, um, after I took the Udemy course, Uh, I decided that I I had completed the iOS 9 course. And one thing I'll say about uh, the Rob Percival course was I I think from an instructional perspective, I mean, the content was was bar none. Very, very. I love his approach to teaching, but I think the only thing I had maybe wanted more was uh, uh, the design aspect of designing apps. And there wasn't as much design in some of those apps. So through the process of taking Udemy courses, I came across um, Dev Slopes, Mark Price. I'm very, I, yeah, I've taken his, uh, uh, I've taken quite a few Dev Slopes courses. I did their yep. iOS 10 um, and I did their Node course. I started yep. on their server side Swift and that's, I didn't, I didn't get too far into server side Swift, but yeah, very familiar with them. Yep. And so I decided partially when I first signed up for my first DevSoaps course, which was the iOS 9 from beginner to paid professional, Mm -hmm. um, I said I wanted to take the course mainly to test myself. So the idea was I'm going to buy this course and instead of actually implementing the apps, I'm going to see if I can guess what the instructor is going to say while watching the videos as a way of testing my knowledge because I had already completed Rob Percival's course. That, that's interesting. That's a, that's, that's, I don't know if I ever would have expected somebody to say that. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I just wanted to, because you know, you, you, you just want to be able to really test your knowledge and see if you actually retained any information. And so my, the first reason I took the course was just for that. I just wanted to really see how much I could actually process and how much I could do without any sort of guidance because I feel like if you can do it without guidance then you've learned it Um, you might not have mastered it but you know it enough to kind of do what you need to do and I ended up you know falling in love with just um, the way Mark Price kind of delivered the content Um, he kind of made it funny a little bit and uh, the the apps that were being uh, shown were somewhat very well designed. Um, oh yeah, he he does have a very good designer. Whoever's making those, Ev, those Evan assets, Leong. Evan Long. Okay. Yeah. Yep, and Evan's awesome at doing what he uh, like. He definitely does a great job at putting those assets together. I believe he does a majority of them, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, and or at least at the time for that course. Okay. Um, and I mean, I, I just that alone, I felt like gave me the other piece to my puzzle because now I knew how to actually write the code. But I wanted to learn how to design it better. And I felt like the Dev Slopes course gave me that. 
And then that just really opened up the door for a multitude of at that point. Now I was mostly taking courses for specific projects in mind. Like I would look at a course to determine, are they teaching something on a framework that I really want to learn? And that became my new way of determining whether or not I'd buy a course. Okay. So what kind of, uh, at that time, what frameworks, um, well, I guess right now, what, what frameworks are you comfortable with? Um, what, what are you, uh, looking to learn more of? I am, I, I mean, I've grown pretty comfortable with the majority of your standard ones. So from your, your table views, to your collection views, uh, URL session for networking, using different, um, some of the different APIs for either location, uh, core location, um, just some of the more standard ones that you come across in almost every app that you would use. Right. What, what are you, um, what are you looking to learn as far as the frameworks go? What, what are you not comfortable with right now? I think for me, learning how to handle one of the things I'm working on now is really kind of the whole asynchronous programming sort of things like being able to handle, um, uh, asynchronous type of calls and, and doing things, um, where it's not necessarily guaranteed on when you're going to get a response back. And I think kind of understanding that piece of things is where I've been kind of doing some research on. I know that, uh, there's a framework out there, I believe it's called Promise Kit, that kind of helps you deal with things like that. I've heard of Promise Kit. I'm not. I'm, yep. I, I do not know what a prom. I know promises have to do something with asynchronous programming, but I, I like as soon as they see the word promise, it's for some <laughs> reason my brain just like short circuits because I've seen it with like Node development related stuff because yes. you know anything with with the web needs with JavaScript. Needs to have, yep. Mm-hmm. But um, how? I'm guessing that would just work client side as well on the, um, on your, on an iOS uh, yeah. application. Okay. I, I, I think of promises like similar to callbacks. Um, when you're in, in, uh, you know, it essentially within an app where you execute some code at a particular point where it's mm -hmm. like, Hey, I'm going to execute this at this time and point. And that's kind of where, those type of things come into play. And it's just, I just wanted to learn that only because a lot of times I pick my learning based on what I notice are the common buzzwords around kind of the iOS community. There are certain times where you'll kind of see certain words pop up often with certain types of apps, whether it's because a framework just was just recently released or it's gotten a lot of love by the community. That's kind of how I determine, hmm, if there's a lot of buzz around this. Maybe I should look into this next because maybe if I get a, a project or work on um, something, I might need to use this. So it, it makes sense to learn it. Okay. Um, what, what kind of projects are you working on right now? Do you have anything in the app store or are you kind of, kind of going through a cycle where you're like, you work on something and then you're like, ah, I don't really like this so much anymore and then go on to the next next thing oh. i think i've i've kind of dealt with the same thing that most newer devs or would pick up on it's like this idea of you start creating an app and you start working on it and then you lose that drive like you finally get it to a point where you think it's good enough 
But then you start looking at what else is in the store, and you're like, ah, this is not good enough. I need to add more to it. And it's like you, you <laughs> yeah. think it's never good enough, and, and you end up with like 30 apps on your, on your laptop with nothing yeah. in the store. Yep. <laughs> so unfortunately, as of now, I don't currently have anything in the store, but I'm, I'm changing that because I've started to realize that in the process of searching for employment and uh, looking down the road of iOS development full time, that a lot of companies and folks want to see something you've already completed. And that's a, it's a tall task, but I, I finally think I have about two or three ideas. Um, uh, one of them that for sure I already have like 90% done, and I'm planning on launching that fairly shortly here. Yeah, I have a job alert set up for on my LinkedIn account mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. I get, you know, alerts for iOS developer, mobile developer. Um, I don't know what else I might have on there and for different areas too. Uh, I live in Dallas, so I have stuff for the Dallas area, Austin, Texas, Houston, mm -hmm. Houston doesn't have a whole lot, uh, Seattle and that, that's it. But gotcha. yeah, majority of the time I see, I've seen some that say they want you to have four apps in the app store. I don't know if they mean like they want you to have contributed to four apps that are in the app store currently, but I've seen as high as that. I was like, dang, there's not even the developers that I listen to on other podcasts don't even have that many apps in the app store. Most of them have like maybe one, two, maybe three at a time, but four, like that seems yeah, pretty audacious. That's, that's pushing it. And I've come to find out that even a lot of senior devs, they've never launched an app in the store. So it's not, oh, I don't really? think that's a, and when I say never launched an app, they've never done one personally. They might've worked for a company or right. you know done something that way. But as far as their own personal app, um, no. And so for me, I, I think it's it, it, the only reason I would think just my opinion that you would need to try and have an app in the store is if your other credentials don't hold enough weight to get you past that point. So if maybe you're not a computer science major or you haven't worked on this for years on end or you're, or you're not coming from another programming background where you've been programming for five, 10 years, right? then I feel like that gives you a leg up because it's, it's essentially proof of your work. Yeah, it makes me wonder too how how much of it is resume based and how much of it's performance based. In so far as much as even getting that first uh, phone interview, like yeah, we were discussing before the podcast how mm -hmm. I told you uh, before I got my current bachelor's degree, and I was applying to hundreds of jobs uh, in the manufacturing space that I never got a single phone call until the moment after I got my degree. Uh, like I got three phone calls after I finally added that uh, bachelor's degree to my resume. It, it blew right. my mind, like how yeah. that how that happened. But my my experience was kind of weak. I had started uh, on the manufacturing floor and kind of worked my way up, and I had only been in that position for about a year. So my employer thought I was talented, yada yada yada. But nobody else really can see that. You can put all these wonderful things on your resume, but that degree also for, for some reason just trips people. Yeah, it does. I, I think it's one of those things that just, it's kind of like that. Okay. They're past this point. So I can, I can take a chance, but I think one of the beauties truthfully of not just swift 
swift development, but just development in general is I don't think unless you're really aiming to go for the big boy companies and, and try to get a development job there, uh, the degree piece I don't think holds as much weight if you actually have projects and you've shown that you can code and you understand uh, the core fundamentals. Um, it can get you places that way in addition to if you just wanted to decide to go off on your own. So it, it all depends on what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go, which is kind of the space that I'm in now because I'm, you know, transition, transitioning out of a 12 year career into development. So, you know, that's the piece that I, I'm coming across every single one of those hurdles as of now. Right. So from being a, I don't really know a whole lot about a system administrator other than a very rudimentary uh, understanding of where like you configure the software, right? You're setting up like the, I, I don't know if you'd say defaults or whatever. Do you do any like scripting or anything? Uh, do you have any like little programming? Like do you do a little bit of programming, whether it's scripts or Python or something like that? Do you do that in your I I do um, not as much as I would want to. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the software applications that we have are um, heavily uh, some the, the the department that I work in is pretty much more so on the server side of the applications. Okay. So most of the scripting I would do is mostly on the SQL side for uh, adjusting certain values and parameters or bug fixes, things of that nature. But as far as the you know, coding out the full application, there's not as much of a need for me to, to right. do that because there is a, there's another team that handles that. But I do handle some of the front end uh, changes that are mostly in JavaScript, uh, a little bit of HTML um, and some CSS. Uh, so that I, I still work on that aspect of it. But I, for me, I want to be more in a position of where I'm creating as opposed to maintaining um, and I know that's probably a tall task for, for um, some development companies, but I just like the idea of being able to take a, a problem or a, feat, uh, a request and create something out of that request, such as, hey, we're trying to build an application that does X, Y, Z, build it. To right. me, I, I love the freedom that comes with that because at the end, you have something that you have essentially created that solves multiple problems in addition to being able to have the satisfaction to know that you can add features to it you can remove t it's just to me there's there's only but so many jobs where you get to do that so the thing is the thing about programming is there's so many different avenues and different applications uh that from like you said from from scripting to whether it be excel or it be mobile or or, you know, Internet of Things. It's just there's so many different applications that you can use that are just that to me make it as a, a more attractive now than it probably would have been before. Plus, the tools have gotten better. So, yeah, they really have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The tools are much, made much easier yeah. and they make your life a lot easier as a, yeah, as a I, new programmer. I don't think Stack Overflow existed right. when I was 15. <laughs> uh, I think I, we barely just had uh, cable internet around yeah. that time. I, and it may not even been, 
around for I don't even remember, but the the internet was still this is pre two thousand five, so right. there wasn't a whole like YouTube didn't exist. It wasn't Web two point yet. Like, right? No, I, I trust me. I, yeah. I remember the the net zero dial up days. Yes. So I, I'm quite familiar with that. Oh. Net zero. Net zero. Yeah, I forgot about net zero. It makes Netscape me... <laughs> Navigator. The, yep. The, yeah. Yep. Oh man, I remember twenty eight point eight K modems. Oh <laughs> man. The first la- my my parents had they you know back especially back in the nineties. People were really wanting to get their kids on computers. You know, mm-hmm. like this is the future. We need to get our kids on computers, otherwise they're going to be left in the dirt. Right. Um, so my parents had this idea to. They bought a couple laptops, and these laptops I were the size of like a law textbook. Right. <laughs> I, they, I forget what brand. They were like Toshiba brand or something. Right. And they made this company to go around to. Um, like daycares, pre-Ks or whatever. And they set up like Mavis, Mavis Bacon or Beacon. I don't remember, you know, typing stuff, math mm-hmm. blaster. I don't know if mm-hmm. you ever saw math blaster, stuff like that. And yep. they had, a, they made a pretty decent little business out of it uh, for a little while, just doing it on Fridays. And I wow. Think, yeah. It's pretty, pretty cool. And so, yeah, I had a lot of exposure to, to computers at the an computer. early age. Because, yeah. Because of that. That's cool. Yeah. But I never really picked up the programming stuff till later. I've always been kind of a power user, um, right? But I've never, never really took that extra step. Uh, I took a Cisco networking class when I was in high school, mm-hmm. uh, but troubleshooting routers really made me angry. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I don't want to do that. So then I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, accessibility, uh, and, and thank you for your service, by the way. Oh. Um, but, you know, I think accessibility is one of the things that uh, helps get somebody into programming. When you have access to computers or access to, uh, you know, programming books or videos or things of that nature. For me, I don't think I had as much access early on. Um, so it didn't really I liked tinkering with things. I think I spent most of my time in my early youth taking things apart. I must have at least three or four computers at my parents' house that are still in shambles <laughs> um, from just taking them apart. Just really wondering what makes this thing tick like, right. What is it? How does it work? And um, so that gave me more of a passion working with hardware. But I always thought for me, like, oh, the software piece, man, unless you're a math whiz. And like you went to like Harvard or one of mm-hmm. these smart schools, programming's just not for you, right? Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and it may have been that way early on because there weren't as many resources. Now it's almost like it's a fashionable trend to program. Almost. Right. Well, and there's like, gosh, you've got YouTube, you've got you've got your right. free resources. Ray Winderlich is awesome. RayWinderlich.com. Uh, you got the Udemy courses, yep, and there's Linda. probably yeah, Linda, Linda, a lot of Linda stuff. Uh, but you know, and then 10 years ago it was, uh, a dry textbook. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And then you, when you were talking about Mark Price, one of the things that I really liked about his course is that he showed when he messed up Absolutely. all the time. I, I don't know how many, like if it wasn't for Mark Price, I probably would have spent a lot longer trying to figure out why this IB outlet was crashing my <laughs> right. And I, and I actually appreciate that sort of approach because he very he made no sort of excuses for this is real development. 
This is what you're going to come across. You're not going to know the answer all the time. Um, and and to, to an extent, I'll say Rob Percival did that because he also showed the way of here. Here's here's the task at hand. Now, let's go look up on Google. There was actually, I think, a couple of videos where he showed how to Google search and how okay. to use Stack Overflow, and which I am a firm believer that the key is not to know everything. You're never going to know every API. You're not going to remember what you can and can't do. The key is knowing where to get the information. And I find that as long as you know how to uh, either Google or how to look up documentation and kind of read through what you need, then I feel like that's what's really going to help take development skills to a whole nother level because I had to learn that through my process of um, you may get an idea for an app as I normally did in the process of taking these courses, but what happens when the idea that you have is not covered in the video courses that you currently have? Right. So then what are you going to do? You're just going to abandon the idea? Yeah. No, you, you know, you really have to learn. That's where learning how to kind of piece things together is really what I feel helped me reach the level that I've reached now in, you know, programming different apps. Um, it, it, was, it really comes from just taking the idea of, okay, well, I know I need to use some networking. I know I need to make some network requests. So now I know there's a video here that shows how to do networking requests and how to either use Alamo Fire or use um, URL session. So, okay, I could use one of those things. Let me do that. All right, now let me find some documentation that shows how to pass data from one view controller to another. And then you just kind of get all the different pieces of the puzzle and you put it together, which I don't currently work as a full-time developer all day, but I'm fairly certain that those that do function like that, where they put pieces together based on requirements that they're given either from management or some product team that says, hey, here's what we're trying to build. Here's what you need to do. And then you just grab all your information and make it fit together. Yeah, that that's definitely one of the things that I feel always uncomfortable with when I'm thinking about um, making trying to make the transition like fully commit like now I'm looking for a job now I'm I'm doing this like the thought of the interview frightens me <laughs> like, um. yeah the interview piece can definitely be I've had a couple of interviews since I've um, uh, moved over to New York City in pursuit of a full-time development uh, iOS development career and and the uh, I, I I haven't been fortunate enough to have a whiteboard interview yet part of me wants to have one just to go through it um, but I have had different interviews where it's uh, been, you know, more so asking questions about different frameworks um, and things of that nature. And I found it kind of interesting because some, you know, would really focus on things that I, I didn't necessarily even I haven't even come across yet. And then others, it was more so, well, tell me why do you use this versus that okay. um, use this framework versus that framework and kind of talk through that. Um, and that actually worked out it, for me. Anytime I left the interview, my homework was always going to research what I didn't know. Will you give an example of something that they brought up that you didn't know? So there was one interview where someone asked me, um, one of the questions was something like, what is the UI responder tool chain or something of that nature? 
Now, mind you, I've seen UI Responder a couple of times, and mm-hmm. I realize that it handles events. But in the at the time when they, they mentioned it to me, I'm thinking, I've never had to use this UI Responder in any code that I've written. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what that may be. Um, and that was something that I had to go back and kind of review and say, okay, what role does UI Responder hold? And and how do I use it and, and and things of that nature, which there's there really wasn't a way for me to, quote unquote, implement it. It was more so one of these a subclass that you inherit from in order to handle certain things, certain events within your app, so to speak, like button presses okay. or, or things of that nature. But that was like a question that I was mentioned that was mentioned. And sometimes, you know, during the interview, you just you just lock up. Sometimes I, I found myself. um kind of freezing on things that I knew I I knew but at the time I was drawing a complete blank like one question was like um what is operator overloading and, okay and what where would I use that things of that nature I know I came across it at the time but for the life of me I'm thinking operator overload and mind you obviously you know what a op, an operator is your plus your minus your equals it's like operator overloading. What the heck is that? <laughs> so it, it was little things like that that sometimes it would frustrate me because when I, by the time I was done with that interview, um, for the most part, the interview went well, but there were a couple of I missed. And it, it frustrated me that when I finally got home or I finally left the building, it was just like, oh, that's what this is. And I, but, it, it, you know, it's just one of those things where I think in the process of applying for jobs and going down that road, you just have to have a a positive mindset and know that truthfully, not every job is meant for you, regardless of how bad you may want to break in to the field that, you know, everything really happens for a reason. And when the time does come for me to tra- transition into the role that I want to be in, it'll it'll just happen. And I and I can't fret too much on like missed interview questions or right things of that nature. Do any of the uh, do any of these interviewers ever give you any feedback after afterwards, or do you ever reach out to them to ask about how your performance was or anything like that? They have not, but I think part of that was on me as well because okay. I had not taken the time to actually. I think once I left the interview and I didn't feel I had already not felt good about the way the interview went, I just automatically kind of discounted it at that point. I'm like, all right, I'm not asking any questions on that. I'm just passing on and going to the next. Okay. And that was some of, was, I guess, somewhat of my approach um, to keep myself from being too bummed out or disappointed with the results, whether or not they were, you know, positive or negative which they necessarily haven't turned positive just yet because I haven't gotten the the full-time role. Um, But it's one of those things where you just, I find having a positive attitude is the best way to handle any sort of circumstance or or pressure in life. Um, That really just helps you move forward. You know, I, I moved from Orlando to New York City in pursuit of this, literally like sold my home, packed up the kids and family and, came up the east coast um, right and you're and you're living off of a 
salary that was great in Florida, in Florida absolutely. and now you're living in New because yeah. I had a buddy that tried <laughs> to talk me into he actually uh he does he lives in Queens he he was like hey man you should come move out here yada 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 and I was like yeah that'd be great but I make this much which would right. not work in New York <laughs> I think it's a, it's a matter of really kind of taking a chance and just believing in yourself to know that I I made the move because I pretty much placed an all-in bet on myself. And I'm betting on myself to deliver at a certain point in time so that I'm not as stressed or worried about the idea of living in New York City on a, you know, Florida salary so to speak. Right. And that um, that takes a lot of courage, man. I'm kudos. Like I I don't have the I would not have the stomach for that. I get way too stressed out thinking about that, but I I I, <laughs> I I applaud you, sir. Like that is that is very impressive. You you just have to make it happen. That's just my thought process. I had been studying and studying and watching videos and tutorials and I just got to the point where I said at some point in time, I got to stop watching tutorials and videos and studying and working on apps and actually start doing something about this, like apply to a job, like transition mm-hmm. out. And that's what really made me think to myself, I hadn't seen the opportunities that I wanted to in Orlando. And I just absolutely love the meetup community um, in New York City. And it's like every single night there's a meetup and there's multiple meetups, oh, wow. multiple iOS meetups like so it just it, it, it fueled that passion that I already had for iOS development and, and even some web development that I figured well, I need to put myself in a position where there are other people around me that can help fuel into my passion as opposed to just kind of holding this wonderful thing in by myself, like in Orlando, which not, and that's not to say that Orlando didn't have devs. But I, there definitely wasn't as much of a community for development as there is in New York City. Right. So speaking of meetups, you you you're the organizer of Learn Swift Queens, correct? Yes, that's correct. So what was that process like getting that up and running? Did you work with uh, Garrick? Uh, mm-hmm. For for anyone that doesn't know, Garrick is the host of the Swift Coders podcast and the founder of the Learn Swift City. So we there's Learn Swift meetups all over the world, I guess now. Um, yeah, and and you are one of those chapters, I guess you could call it. What was that yes. process like? The process was for me somewhat natural because when I was in Orlando, because of that passion, I actually started a uh, meetup um, just west of Orlando, city of Claremont, uh, called Claremont iOS Meetup. And I specifically did that because at the time I was um, living in Claremont and there was I I didn't always like to have to drive to downtown Orlando to go to an iOS meetup. So I figured, why not actually just bring it to me? Maybe there are some people here that would love to have learn iOS and also don't want to make that trip to downtown Orlando. But when I was in Orlando, we met at a Panera Bread uh, in the in their little meeting room area okay and um that worked out for the most part it was about maybe six or seven of us and it was a nice kind of comfy sort of ask questions and uh that sort of style meetup where it was more workshop based as opposed to presenting okay and um that worked very well and i think i if i was still in orlando i was would have gladly kept that up but i it got to a point where 
I wanted to actually learn some more myself. Mm-hmm. And that's where my move to New York happened. And uh, being a fan of the Swift Coders podcast, um, I just happened to answer the appeal that Garrick put out in one of his episodes. He was like, hey, if you want to start up a meetup, get, you know, get get at me and I will walk you through and help you through the process. And I think that kind of motivated me to say, you know what, I don't see and I in New York City, there are a ton of iOS meetups. There's and, and a lot of them are very large, but they're all in Manhattan. And and that's all fine, mm-hmm. but it was a similar sort of deal as to what I was dealing with in Orlando, where I wanted to be able to cater to the community that was more local and that didn't want to travel all the time to the to Manhattan for a meetup. And so I decided, well, why not start Learn Swift Queens? There's already a, a multitude of meetups in in Manhattan, but there are very little iOS-based meetups in Queens. So I said, why not bring it here? And um, so far I have, I think uh, we started in July and I'm just uh, just over 50 members currently. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and it's it's growing, but it's just now a matter of being able to cater to that group and, and find the locations. Because that's kind of the hard piece for me now is really finding a location. Once I have a location, because for me, I have the passion to teach and I have the passion to share it with everyone it's really just getting to that point where i'm done with the administrative stuff the uh how you present the meetup how you word it in your description finding a location organizing those are the pieces that are a little more they're a little difficult for myself only because my passion is in the teaching and sharing the information not in the organizing (laughs) So is there anything that you dislike in regards to Swift and iOS development that you have experienced over the last couple of years that you've been hacking at the keyboard? Uh, as far as dislikes, um, I can't really say that I have too many dislikes other than sometimes there's just this overwhelming pressure of just so much to learn, which I think that's with any uh, any language or any uh, framework you try to learn or platform that there's as soon as you get good, I guess with Swift, the, the beauty of Swift is it's very easy to understand and very easy to pick up, but it's still in evolution. So if you are one of those folks that has started working on Swift, let's say from Swift two up to now, um, you've, you've gone through a lot of growing pains, especially going from Swift two to Swift three. Not as much from three to four, but um, so as a developer, as you're starting to get familiar with certain APIs and get comfortable with things, then it's like, oh, there's a new way to call this now. And you, you go about doing. So I think some of those are growing pains, but they're good growing pains, because if you're able to learn it um, and really kind of get to a point where you use it often enough, um, then it doesn't become as hard. In my opinion, um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, consistency. My, my approach towards learning Swift has always been um, there. So for me, there's no silver bullet for learning Swift. In my opinion, uh, variety is what works the best. I will I will try and watch at least five different videos on table views or read up five different medium posts 
so that I always have a a because within those five pieces of information that you read, whether it be a video or a post, there's going to be a different approach and a different way of presenting that information. I, I've experienced the same exact thing. And like, you'll, you'll see something like you'll think you'll know something by the back of your hand. And then you read another post like, oh, wow, you can do that. <laughs> exactly. And, and I feel like that really helps cement certain concepts in. And I think the best way to kind of make a, a, a relation to that is this idea of for, for those that are like physically active and things like that, you'll you'll hear things of like uh, muscle confusion, where, for example, if you want to build a lot of muscle like in your chest or wherever in your legs, you're like you first start off with like doing one exercise and then you kind of do another exercise and you you do a multitude of different exercises that target different muscles at the same time. And, and that brings out faster results. And I am under the theory that the same principle works for the brain, that if you're able to show the brain a multitude of different ways of doing things, it kind of expands your mind to, to retain information better. And it also gives you flexibility so that when you're reading, when you're looking at other people's code, whether it be an open source project or... Um, or a video tutorial online, it doesn't completely throw you off because you've seen, oh, I could you know call a delegate this way, or I can just um, use the UI and connect my delegates that way as well. So it's just variety is 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 what I tell most folks. Like try to watch at least the same topic five different sources, and as long as you can do that, I feel like you'll be in a good good position. That sounds like some pretty good advice. So we're kind of running out of time now. Um, if people want to reach you, Mark, how can they get a hold of you? I uh, am on Twitter. You can reach me at uh, DigiMarkTech, D-I-G-I-M-A-R-K-T-E-C-H. Uh, that's probably the most common place uh, where I try to be, since that seems to be where the all of the development community Lives. Yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not really much of a, a much of a social media person, other than uh, you know my wife tagging me in kid photos. Uh, <laughs> but but for the most part, the uh, Twitter seems to be a, a popular place, so that I can be reached there um, or uh, via email. Um, and uh, my email is first initial, middle initial, a u p o n t, which is my last name at gmail.com. I can be reached that way. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show, Mark. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. And that concludes this episode of the Learn Swift podcast. I hope our discussion left you feeling inspired and that you're not alone. If you enjoyed the show, please consider telling a friend, recommending the show on Overcast, or leaving a review on iTunes. If you just want to say hello, you can reach me on Twitter at Stephen underscore zero three five one. Thanks and see you next time.